Well, hello and happy Sabbath. Glad you're here on this very chilly morning. Uh, discovered a blessing today when I got here, and Debbie will have to make a note of this to make sure we, uh, we thank the appropriate parties, and that is that the folks at the academy, the, the retirement center here off beside us, had plowed our sidewalk all the way around the church and all the way down, which now they didn't do the approaches to the church, that's fine, we can get that easily enough, but that's what really takes the longest time. And that's what gets us in trouble with the city if we don't get it done. So uh, much appreciation to them for doing that. And in fact, uh, we continue to be blessed as a congregation by these different groups that we associate with and that do different things for us. Uh, for example, uh, the way that uh, Smiley Construction has done so many things for us over time and... and uh, yeah, you know, there's always challenges in interacting with other entities around, but there's also blessings that come with it. So uh, I'm very thankful uh, for that, for the fact that they were doing that, and we'll be sure to give them uh, an appreciation on that uh, in these days ahead, because that saves us an awful lot of work trying to get that done. I also appreciate Greg Hodgson, who I helped today get the, sh the approaches to the church shoveled up. So that was good, and uh, yeah, very... A very bracing out there. So, uh, yeah, we enjoyed that. All right. Glad you're here. Everybody that's joining us online, uh, you may be showing wisdom, but uh, nonetheless, uh, glad you're here as well. And uh, let's pray and let's begin today. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to be here in this place and to be gathered together online. Uh, wherever we might be. Lord, I pray that your spirit today will speak to us, speak to our hearts, give us wisdom for how we live our lives going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So my optometrist tells me that I am getting a cataract in my right eye. Any of you all ever had a cataract? Anybody ever had one of those? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, we got, we got participation there. It's not a huge surprise, really, uh, because I remember back when I was, it was in the, the 1970s when I was still just a boy, my grandfather, my mother's father, got cataracts. That's the first time I'd ever heard of anything like that. I had no idea what that was, and, and uh, there was a treatment for it at the time. They did it for him. He had to wear a contact. That's the first time I'd ever seen a contact. Anyway, lots of stuff. But it just stuck in my mind. Oh, that's a thing. And then later on down the road, uh, not that many years ago, my mom had cataracts. So she had cataract surgery. And by now, the, the way of handling it had advanced significantly. And uh, so she didn't go through nearly as many different pieces of it as my grandfather did. And, you know, it, it was not a huge surprise in that there was that reality that it had happened in my family before. But then when he told me that, then I started to think about it. And I realized I've kind of been favoring my left eye for a little while. I didn't really think about that much before. But, but as, I, as, as he said that, I thought... Well, yeah, that's kind of true. If I really want to see something, I'm kind of using my left eye. Sometimes when I'm reading, I find that my right eye is just completely unfocused and I'm completely 
reading with just my left eye. So, so there were indications that there was something going on with my vision there. But, but the thing about vision is, is that, that when things like that come on slowly, you don't necessarily realize what's happening until it's way down the road, until things have changed a lot. It's not a huge deal, but some someday in the year or two or three down the road, I'll have to have something done. He's, he said, I may be actually starting to get one in the left eye as well, so I guess maybe I'll have a set. That'll be nice. But no big deal yet. I'm blessed to live in an age when you can do something about that instead of everything just kind of slowly fogging over. Vision is a very interesting thing, especially as it begins to slowly deteriorate over an extended period of time. And it causes you to adapt and hardly even notice the loss until one day it's just too obvious to deny or something comes along to point it out. I got contacts when I was a sophomore in academy. I was having trouble seeing the whiteboard. Actually, Academy was the first time I'd ever encountered a whiteboard. Before that, it was always a chalkboard. Now, how many of you remember a chalkboard? Yeah, way back there in the old days. Uh, but whiteboard, I was having trouble seeing the whiteboard. I had to sit in the front of the class to see it all. But the cool kids never sat at the front of the class. So I developed strategies for how I could do it. You ever squinted? Anybody know about squinting? Yeah, I did that a lot. There was another one that I, I would do. You take your hand and you go like this, and then you, you look through the tiny hole there. You know, you develop strategies as you go along, and you just kind of assume that's how it is. And then my parents took me to the eye doctor one home leave, and suddenly my world changed. I had been living for the last five or six years in a Monet painting. You know about Monet, the Impressionist? I think maybe they all just went nearsighted and they were doing the best they could. But everything is just kind of, kind of an impression. Oh, that's the sense of tree. Not, not so much the reality of tree, but yeah, you get the idea. I'd been living in this Monet painting for quite some time, and I remember being shocked to discover that a person could see individual leaves on a tree from 20 feet away. I had no idea that was something you could do. I didn't know because it came on slowly. I didn't realize it was changing. And I'll tell you this, sports got way easier. I didn't have to just imagine where the ball was for two-thirds of its flight to me and then pick it up right at the end and try to react. The, the problem with clear vision is we don't really know for sure what it is or that we don't have it until something comes along and makes clear that what we thought was clear was not clear. That's the problem. Which brings us to our passage for today and a reality that Jesus tries to address that is blatant to a third-party observer but often impossible for us to see. 
So we're going back to the book of Luke today for at least one week as we get this year going. Uh, next Sabbath, uh, we have a special thing next Sabbath, Koinonia, the choir from Campion Academy is going to be with us and they're going to do some songs for us and I'm going to work with them, some with the message. And my daughter Arielle is in this group, so real excited to have her come and be a part of that and they're going to do a great job for us. So looking forward to that next week. But, and then we'll probably start into our series on, on mission and vision that we talked about. But, but for this Sabbath, I wanted to go back to Luke because we still haven't finished chapter 6 of Luke in this slow walk of Luke that we were doing last fall. And there's still a lot of amazing material in here in words of Jesus that it would be worth our time to address. So Luke chapter 6. We're not going to do a lot of flipping around today, so if you just want to open a Bible there in front of you, I've got that same translation. Luke chapter 6, verse 41 and 42, we find these words. This is Jesus talking. He said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. <clears throat> now Jesus here is using exaggeration to make his point. Yet what is exaggeration in the real world? You saw that with... Uh, Jackie up here trying to literally put that large piece of wood in her eye. You can't actually do it. What is clearly exaggeration in, in the literal world is often anything but exaggeration in the figurative world. Because somehow in the figurative realm, we're great at cramming all kinds of logs into our eyes when it comes to the way we live our lives. The general meaning of what Jesus is saying is simple to comprehend, but also difficult to implement. Here's what he's saying. Don't go around trying to correct everyone else when you yourself are far from having everything together. What makes this difficult is that sometimes we don't realize we have a log in our eye. And because often those around us do have specks in their eyes. Because has this been the case for you? So often the people around you just aren't perfect, are they? And you notice when they do things wrong. It's reality. But because that is true, we sometimes think it helpful to assist them in removing their specks. Now, for starters, it's shocking how rarely people are happy to have that kind of help from me. And how often they're of a mindset that I might even be an unworthy helper. How can they be so rude when my intentions are so pure? But then that's the problem. Perhaps in my mind or my perception, my intentions are good, but what do I truly know about my perceptions? Could it be that even I have blind spots 
Probably. But you for sure have blind spots if you've got a log in your eye. Do you know, do you know that the, the eye has a natural blind spot? Did you know about this? Have you ever heard about this? So the way, I'm not great at this, hopefully nobody, I won't get this way wrong, but the way the retina works is you've got this, uh, this we'll call it a thing, shall we, in the back of your eye, that the light comes in and hits, and then the nerves there detect that light the way it is, and then they send signals to a, to a main nerve at the back of your eye that goes back to your brain, and then your brain interprets it all and, and says, oh, I know this person, and oh, that color is red, and oh, there's a light up there. It's amazing, really, how it happens. But because of the way the eye is formed, you've got that retina back there, but then you've got that spot not quite exactly in the middle, just a little bit off the middle, where the, the nerve goes in and the retina is not there, so that spot does not receive a signal from the outside world. But it's okay because your brain fixes it. Your brain is like, yeah, there's no hole there, it's this. And so your brain just interprets that little spot, which is it's kind of off to the side slightly, as whatever the background is. But you can do a little test. I remember doing this as a kid. You, you, put, uh, you put an X on a piece of paper and then you move it towards your eye while looking straight ahead. And you'll reach a point where you hit that blind spot and it will disappear. Because your mind will reinterpret the page as being blank. We all have a blind spot. And our brain makes excuses and comes up with an explanation for things. Your brain fixes it, but by doing so, sometimes you fail to see something that is actually there. I think the same thing happens sometimes in our relationships and with our perceptions of our part in our relationships. We have blind spots. Can you see your blind spot? Of course not. The definition of a blind spot is you can't see it. That's the problem. So what do we do? Well, first, each of us needs to know we have blind spots, places where we have misconceptions or misunderstandings or insufficient information or we've never actually encountered this situation before or we had an experience in the past that colored our ability to clearly discern on this subject or we are covering up for a guilt that we have that we may or may not fully understand, or the list could go on. There are a lot of things that can give us blind spots. Lots of logs in our eyes. So what do we do? I think it, far, I think it too far to say we put a moratorium on ever saying anything to anyone. Though there might be some in this place today, not going to call any names, who would benefit from at least an extended vacation from suggesting repairs to other people. Just, just a thought. I may have a log in my eye and you may not want to receive my attempt to remove that speck. But as you see fit, the biggest point here is not, is, is not to say nothing but rather, I think, to make sure that before that is in your own eye, 
you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. All right. I think this is very important for all of us as we head into an election year. And to that end, here are a couple of ground rules I'd like to see us follow as this year progresses. First, I will attempt in all that I say or do to be nonpartisan in a political way, whether it's here, from the front, in the church, on social media, wherever it is, I will make an effort to be nonpartisan in a political way. I accept that this might be seen as cowardice or unfaithfulness to people from both sides of the aisle. And if I can maintain a certain disdain from both sides, I will consider that a victory. This is not to suggest that there might not be important points that both sides might want or need to make. But for the record, the kingdom I have committed to build up is not any of the kingdoms of the world. For my views on the kingdoms of the world, just reference back to November 4 when we talked about the image in Daniel 2 and the kingdoms of the world getting smashed by the stone cut without human hands and then the stone becomes the kingdom that fills the earth. That's the kingdom I care about and it is my goal to never allow the foolishness of the kingdoms of this age to take my eyes off of my sworn fidelity to that kingdom. Now, I'm not criticizing people who might take a different position on this, even people in a position like mine, because God calls us each to different tasks, but I am telling you my conviction on this. Also, I have become aware over time that I am prone on this subject to logs in my eyes sometimes, and things that I am absolutely sure there is but one right view on, I come later to realize, yeah, it's not quite that simple. And there is nothing I hate more than realizing I was wrong. So that's the first. And hopefully you can count on that from me as this year goes forward. But here's the second ground rule. I would hope we could adopt for this election year. Never assume in any conversation you become involved in at church that everyone who attends shares your politics. Never assume that. This is an interesting point about Adventists. We are at our best when we are not monolithic in our thinking and understanding. A little story on this. See, we kind of have this reputation of being a conservative church, Adventists in general, because we've often had a lot of lifestyle markers. We go to church on Saturday. That's different. We claim it because we have a high regard for Scripture and Scripture teaches. That's our basis. We have uh, encouraged vegetarianism through the years. 
We have at different times and, and, and different seasons enforced different rules uh, related to, to whether or not we went to movie theaters or, or whether or not we wore jewelry or things like this that have, been, that have been lifestyle markers that have suggested that as a people we are conservative if not in fact somewhat fundamentalists. And some of our own have mistaken us for conservatives or fundamentalists. But in truth, if you really plumb the depths of our theology, we are neither of those things. We hold a number of views that are contrary to the most conservative or orthodox or fundamentalist opinions. Yes, we have a high regard for Scripture. No, we are not inerrantists in the way fundamentalists describe it. I saw this play out one time when we had invited a guy by the name of Greg Gunn who uh, had developed a program for helping families develop a family vision and a family purpose and a very powerful thing. Uh, Greg was a wonderful guy, uh, uh, still is, wonderful guy, large family, like seven or eight kids, something like that, uh, really invested himself into his family. He, uh, he was a, uh, a member of Life Church, which was the church that uh, Craig Groeschel started, if you're familiar with that branch of, uh, of, of evangelical reality. Uh, anyway, um, he... So he developed this program, and we invited him uh, to come to the church we were at. I happened to, to have met him uh, somewhere along the way, and we invited him, and Alicia really got involved. She was really the one that was making most of the invitations. And he came, and he was doing a lecture to, to families in our church to help them develop family vision, mission, purpose, things like this. It was very powerful, very useful. But as he was up in front talking he would occasionally make a joke or two from the context that he presumed all of us were from, which was a context similar to his own. He was a, a conservative Christian from a church in Oklahoma. So you might guess kind of already where we're going with that. He would occasionally make jokes of a of a somewhat fundamentalist nature, but he was always surprised how the response was tepid at best. Because as a group, the people he was talking to were not of a single mentality. Just because we as Adventists hold a high view of Scripture does not mean that we as a group are politically conservatives. But it, at the same time, doesn't mean none of us are. Part of the ironic impact of our eschatology as Seventh-day Adventists, our, our understanding of the end times, particularly as it relates to religious liberty and our understanding of some of the writings of Ellen White regarding the role of the United States in prophecy affects our politics. Now, just a little spoiler alert, if you've gotten behind on what are traditional teachings on the role of America in prophecy, uh, 
We're not the good guys. And that, ironically, was a position once very strongly held by the more conservative side of the Adventist church. But in recent years, it's a position that has been surprisingly abandoned by many in our Adventist church as the culture wars around us have raged in the larger society. And some of the more conservative elements of our church have been drawn towards a more evangelical approach to the role of America in the world, which is a significant departure from what we have historically taught based on our understandings of prophecy. Now, it's easy enough to understand why. When I was a kid, back in the... Well, I was born in 65, so in the 70s and even up into the 80s, what I was taught and believed as a Christian, was not significantly different from the assumptions of the larger society I lived in. Oh, there were always fringe elements. There were always people being bad. But society at large held that general view. No longer is this reality. And it is very easy for someone my age to pine for a time when the messages you got on the news or on other media outlets were at least somewhat coherent to the worldview you had been taught. And as a result, it is very easy to get sucked into the culture wars. But we need to understand historically that's not where we've been. Now, Speaking specifically of this church, the Boulder Church, I would be loath to try to characterize this church as either left or right-leaning, though in this conference I think we have been at least assigned a position to the left, which does not on its own imply we are unbalanced or unnecessarily far to the left, since left or right is determined solely by the person assigning the terms in relation to where they stand which may or may not be a healthy place. So maybe compared to the larger conference, maybe we appear to be a little bit to the left, but that does not necessarily imply we're way over there because they may be way over there. The whole term itself is a little useless, isn't it? Because left and right switches if I turn around, right? So it's all a little tricky. So I would be loath to characterize us as one thing or the other. Here's what I do know for sure. I know that we have some Democrats who attend this church. And I know that we have some Republicans who attend this church. And I know that we have some people like me who aren't registered with either party because people like me just can't seem to agree enough with anyone to be cooperative with anyone. Here's what I want to say about all that. We must never let what divides us outside these walls become stronger than what unites us inside these walls. What divides us outside 
must never be stronger than what unites us inside. On this subject, we all have areas where we are correct and areas where we have logs in our eyes. And since it is hard for us to be sure which areas we see clearly and which are obscured, we therefore must fight the urge to be speck removers. No matter how big we think the specks are. Now, I'm not saying it isn't important. I'm just saying as long as I am here, it is the kingdom of God I want us to focus on, not the kingdoms of the world. So that's the second ground rule. Third ground rule. And I'll let Paul make this one. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Oh, wow. All right. Well, let's not miss the point here. Paul is not suggesting that all governments are good. Don't think that for a second. That's not what Paul is saying. Clearly, he's not saying this, because remember, when Paul wrote this, he's talking about the Romans. Feel like we're up a couple notches from there, right? But Paul wrote this about the Romans. The point Paul is making, I think, is that the only reason we can have any hope of ever going home safely is because God has instituted governments, imperfect as they are, to protect us from ourselves and from each other. There was an old Chinese saying, and I think this saying holds particularly true whenever you have large population together. And that old saying was this, a year of tyranny is better than a day of anarchy. Now, I don't want tyranny, but I also don't want anarchy. And if that's what it takes to not have anarchy, that's what this Chinese saying is, is suggesting it would be better the one than the other. All right, well, let's leave China there and let's look at ourselves. We have a process in America and it is imperfect. But we need to trust that process and cooperate with the outcomes of that process to the extent that cooperation does not put us out of alignment with the laws of God. That is not to say there is never a time for revolution but it is to say, this is not a time for revolution, regardless of who wins in November. Okay? There are times, this just isn't one. I mean, really. So please, don't let yourself get caught in the craziness that this year will bring from either the left or the right, regardless of who wins, we need to be ready to accept the outcome, even if we hate it. That's the only chance we have for this to work. Romans 13, 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Paul goes on, verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes, 
For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. Wow, we could do a lot better with that, right? Has it not become the ultimate popular thing that the leader of whatever party, when they go out there, the people against them come out and heap as much disrespect as possible upon them? I hope we're never a part of that. I hope we're never a part of disrespect. Yeah, uh, debate, yes. Disagreement, yes. Disrespect, no. That's beneath Christians. That's beneath followers of Jesus. Pay to all what is owed them taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So yeah, all that. This is how we need to behave regarding all that out there. That's for out there. But this next part is how we need to be in here. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet... And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So, the darkest red Republican and the deepest blue Democrat in this place only owe each other one thing. To love each other. And by extension, to do no wrong to each other in word or in deed. So, three ground rules to keep us from removing specks from each other's eyes while we have logs in our own. Number one, I will try to not provoke either side. All right, that's my promise. Number two, you must recognize not everyone agrees with you, and that's okay. We cannot allow what divides us outside these walls to become stronger than what unites us within them. And number three, we must love each other regardless of how wrong some of you actually are. he said, with a log protruding from his head. So, Ben, come on back up here and save me. Here's our benediction words. Here's what we want to live by. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. I, I think that implies a little effort into it. I think that implies even when you're not really behaving in a way that makes me feel loving towards you, I'm going to still try. Why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we're going to serve each other. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're trying to do. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's the point. We've all got cataracts. None of us sees all things clearly. And God has given us each other in this place to help us realize not so much by telling but by being that sometimes we've all got logs in our eyes. But there is a cure. Humbly love one another.